This week on Millennial. The reason it doesn't make a substantial difference to my debt load and what I think is being overlooked here across the board is interest. If they don't do anything about interest, this almost doesn't matter for people who have more than $10,000 in student loan debt. When you're watching Matt Smith, you're like, oh my God, that's Matt Smith's butt. I'm finally getting to see Matt Smith's butt. Oh my God, oh, oh my God he's fucking. Didn't we see Matt Smith's butt in The Crown? Probably. Yeah, I think you're right. We did. Laura's Andrew's like... going <laughs> to, he's got to go back and freeze frame. <laughs> no, no, no. He's got to compare Matt Smith butts. <laughs> right. Has his butt gotten more plump? Who are the 0.1 percenters? I don't know. Who's got a couch in the center of the room? And who doesn't have a popcorn ceiling? Let us know. Can we have some money? (laughs) Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Thank you to the confessional writer who noted a couple weeks ago that I keep saying fake adulting, real talk. When the album art says pretend adulting, real talk. So I have now fixed the problem. It was actually a good call out. It, it was a disconnect. And I appreciate that feedback. You could have written in with your name. I wouldn't have bit you for that piece of feedback. But any other feedback, he absolutely does bite. So just... <laughs> you don't like the Kirkland signature shirt I'm wearing today? How dare you? You are canceled. <laughs> You're dead to me. Dead to me. You know, I have to say, at least you picked a synonym. Yeah, it's all about pretend adulting here. We have moments on the show where we have confessed to very much pretend adulting. They come up from time to time, for sure. But speaking of things that uh, are dead to me, Be Real is dead to me. I've already uninstalled the Be Real app. Pam, Laura, are you still using it? I know you joined. I used it twice, and then I just got bored of it and annoyed by the notifications, so I turned them off. I'm not using it anymore, but I need to turn off notifications because <laughs> just that would delete probably it. Save it, yeah. But it was fun to try it out. I have no regret. It was. It was. Yeah. The reason I mention it is because Pam, the last time we spoke about this three weeks ago, at this point, you said, "How long until Instagram rips it off?" Well. We learned this week that Instagram is already testing a Be Real ripoff. Wow. And there's screenshots of it. They confirmed that the test is real. What are these social media executives paid to do exactly besides Greenlight ripping off other social media app features? Yeah. It's pathetic yeah. to me. This reminds me, I used to work at a <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell this story on air, but whatever. It's been a couple of years now. I used to work at a coffee shop where this guy was promoted to create new drinks. And it just started getting really old to see that he like you could clearly tell where he was getting inspiration from. So I got way too much joy from hearing him tell me about new drinks that were coming down the pipeline and then going, oh, yeah, like a Pete's? Oh, yeah, like at Starbucks. (laughs) That's amazing. So maybe we'll see this in Instagram one day. Maybe we won't. Who knows? I mean, by the time Instagram actually finishes their test and building this, Be Real could be old news already. But I do like the concept in general. I think think it's kind of neat. And maybe I would use it on Instagram, just knowing everybody else is there and using it. It's a lot easier when you only have to go to one app to try everything. And this is why so many people jump ship on Snapchat when Instagram started integrating stories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
But Laura, there was some exciting news that is breaking today, the day the episode is going to be released. Right. So as has been rumored for quite some time at this point, um, it looks like President Biden is set to announce the day after this show's recording, so the day of the show's release, um, that uh, the White House will be moving to forgive $10,000 in federal student loan debt for many Americans. It's very reflective of his campaign promise. We'll remember that back when he was campaigning, he campaigned on $10,000. They're also going to be Uh, extending the student loan moratorium until January, giving you a few more months to not have to make student loan payments if you're not in a place to make them. So these are a couple of good things. I hear like forgiving $10,000 student debt check, um, pushing back the repayment pause check, like that all sounds great. But I do have some concerns here. And you know that I can't not share a story like this without having some opinions about it and how I think it could be better. So first and foremost, I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking about this as somebody who has a large amount of student loan debt. So personally, $10,000, while I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, it does not make a substantial difference to my debt load. The reason it doesn't make a substantial difference to my debt load and what I think is being overlooked here across the board is interest. If they don't do anything about interest, this almost doesn't matter for people who have more than $10,000 in student loan debt. And the reason I say that is because we know the national average is about $30,000. So if you take 10 off of that, that's great. That's a third of the debt. But if you're still paying 6 to 9% on those federal loans, that interest adds up quickly. For a lot of people, $10,000 is the amount of interest their loans accrue every year. So as long as we don't do anything about the interest, this is a Band-Aid solution. And part of me has found it kind of perplexing that they're going to do this. They know it's going to be challenged in the courts. Um, and they're doing it as this big political move before midterms. I am surprised that they aren't trying to do a larger amount, or at the very least, do something about the interest. Hell, even if they capped the interest at 3%, which is still too high, would be way better than what we have now. So I I am afraid that in the long term, this is not the move that they think it's going to be because six, 12 months from now, I think a lot of student loan borrowers who don't have their debt eliminated by this $10,000 are going to see these problems. They're going to see interest is still a problem. Um, They're going to see that, hey, we haven't done anything about lending that happens from the federal government. This doesn't do anything about the predatory lending of student loans that happens by our own literal government. So if we don't address this issue from multiple points, like if we don't take a multi-pronged approach to it, it's not going to work. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now. No, those are all really good points. Yeah. Yeah. I am happy that we're getting what we're getting. But I also think that this, in the long run, may not be as beneficial as the administration is going to want to make it sound like. It could also be them dipping their toe in the water to see what happens. 
because this will be challenged in court. There's no way it doesn't get challenged. So it could be them starting small, seeing what happens, and then maybe a future administration going with more sweeping forgiveness. Or this one closer to the 2024 election. Maybe Biden seems very Biden seems very hesitant to just be forgiving large swaths of debt, which I don't agree with, but I understand where he's coming from. And I really do think the middle ground solution here is to get rid of the interest. I'm happy to pay my student loan debt back, but it's impossible to get out from underneath the interest if nothing is done about it. Yeah, if they got rid of the interest. So you hear so many stories of people talking about how they owe more than what they borrowed specifically because of the interest. Even if they just did $10,000 and said, we're going to forgive all of the interest, it would basically set everybody back to where they started. And, and so many people would be in a much better position to try and pay most, if not all of it back. Um, but I, like you, am not really surprised that Biden is hesitant to forgive everything. He's a very moderate Democrat overall. And I feel like we kind of knew that going into electing him into office. So I don't think he was ever going to be somebody that was going to forgive everything. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out. But I think that you're right. Like a lot of this is really just it makes for a really nice headline that looks fantastic for them going into midterms, but it doesn't really solve the problem overall. Yeah. A headline and something they can throw into these commercials. Right. Biden canceled $10,000 of student loan debt. Right. And they can use it again in 2024 if they don't have another wave by then. I think some people have also been raising the point that there was a lot of money given out by the federal government during covid within the PPP program and a couple other programs. And as time has gone on, we've discovered that many, many businesses took advantage of the PPP program and individuals took advantage of these loans. If that much money, and it was what, billions of dollars, if that much money can be- bailed out airlines multiple times. They've bailed out stock market. They've bailed out banks. Right. So it's not like they can't. It's just that they don't want to. Also- Fun fact for anyone who's interested in doing some homework at home. If you see a particular pundit or individual business owner, whatever, who is very opinionated about student loan forgiveness in the opposition um, and wants to say things like student loan borrowers are being lazy, you shouldn't have, you know, gone for that degree in art history if you weren't going to be able to pay it back. Um, it's actually public record to see who took a PPP loan and had it forgiven. So just do a quick Google. You'll find it and you'll be able to see if that person or business or whoever accepted a PPP loan and had it forgiven. Mm-hmm. I always find that to be really funny. Yeah. Um, Steven Crowder, who is like an enormous jackass, was doing this on Twitter <laughs> very recently. <laughs> And it was like a quick gers- uh, cursory Google search to look him up and the fact that his fucking YouTube channel took like $70,000 in PPP loans. <laughs> yeah. I know. I-, I don't know if this happened to any of you all, but I know I definitely followed at least one business that was really, you know, to be fair, they were a smaller business, but they were really kind of 
playing this card about how people should try to support as best they could small businesses during coronavirus pandemic when everything was shut down. Um, and then things started taking a turn where they were saying that like they had to let go most of their staff, but they were actually doing them a service because they were going to be able to collect more unemployment. They would have been able to collect actual salary. And then things got like really out of pocket when they announced that they were like doing an entire huge renovation. And the whole time I was thinking to myself, like, where are you getting all this money? Yeah. If you're talking about how you can't afford to pay your employees and how they're really struggling because nobody's coming in to to shop. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be PPP loan, right? And I know that there has to be like, you have to show that that money is going towards stuff, but it does feel really shitty when you think to yourself like, man, have I been supporting somebody that has not you put that money to good use? But yeah, all this to say, definitely if the government can do that, then- it seems like there are opportunities to do more to help people that really need help. The PPP program was flawed. On the other hand, they had to rush something out. So I get why it wasn't perfect. Now they are investigating a lot of people who took advantage of these programs. I think they're currently overwhelmed. The last report I read, they're overwhelmed by cases to look into because there was so much fraud going on. So hopefully all these people will uh, get what's coming to them. But um, I understand the tough situation the government was in there because they wanted to save businesses as quickly as possible. Oh, I get it. It It is interesting, though, that for a government that's literally had decades to figure out student loans uh, and how to run that program efficiently, that they are still to this day giving tens of thousands of dollars to 18-year-olds who have no credit history and yeah. expecting them to be able to pay it back. It's There's, so hard to buy a house, and yet it's so easy to take out student loans. Yeah, there has, listen, there has to be a middle ground. And that's why I think interest is the middle ground. One thing I've learned growing up is you can never get ahead in life. You can never get ahead. <laughs> Not unless you have, what is that called? Generational wealth? Yes. That's the term. What's yeah. that? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> you know, a good year for your business? Tough shit. You have to give half of it away to the government. You know, it's like examples like that. You can just never get ahead in this country. Well, let's put all that aside to forget about the real world and look at the fantasy world that's happening on our television sets. What a time to be alive, truly, because Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones spinoffs are releasing within a couple weeks of one another. The Game of Thrones spinoff premiered this past Sunday. It's called House of the Dragon. And I have some big personal news here. I am vowing to watch both of these shows all the way through and really pay attention. This is a big personal development for me because I didn't really watch Game of Thrones I only sort of paid attention with the final couple seasons, and I never cared for Lord of the Rings, but I want to be in on the water cooler talk, on the Twitter talk. I want to be part of all the excitement. So I am going to be watching both of these shows. I watched House of the Dragon over the weekend. Did either of you watch the first episode yet? I have not, but it is on my list. Um, As a burned Game of Thrones fan, I am just taking my sweet time getting into that one. Uh But I'm excited to hear your thoughts. I have. Did you like it? You did stick with Game of Thrones all the way through. I did. And like Laura, I was burned. Um, I think that it is definitely very much in line of what we've seen with Game of Thrones. 
there's a lot of violence in the first episode. There's a lot of gratuitous nudity and sex in the first episode. There are a lot of dragons in the first episode. So, you know, if you're looking for more of that, this is going to be right up your street. Yeah. So you both mentioned feeling burned from the final season of Game of Thrones. This is what's so interesting to me about the early numbers for House of the Dragon. HBO reported that 10 million people tuned into the premiere across streaming and cable. So that was just Sunday night. This is HBO's most watched premiere in its history. Now, for comparison's sake, sake, the Game of Thrones series finale in May 2019 notched 19.3 million viewers. So not a huge drop-off for a spinoff. I'm really impressed by those numbers. Everybody hated the final season of Game of Thrones, and yet they came back for the spinoff. You all must love the violence and the blood and the sex and the death. I do. Well, yes, but I do think that that out of all of the spinoffs that they've greenlit, because there have been a lot, if you're suffering from Game of Thrones fatigue, specifically based on trying to keep up with all the Game of Thrones news coming out of HBO, I don't blame you. But this was like, the perfect storm for them. Not only are you basing this entire spinoff series off of a very prevalent house, House Targaryen, but you also have so many other, um, you know, distant relatives of characters that we already are familiar with. And it's fun for people to see those Easter eggs. If you hear somebody whose last name is Stark, Baratheon, Tarly, you get excited because even if you haven't read the books or you, you haven't gone super deep into the George R. R. Martin lore, you still have a good foundation for why those names are important, even nearly 200 years before Game of Thrones actually takes place. So I think it was a very smart move on their part. Now, speaking of that and having seen the first episode, Pam, do you have any early concern about them leaning too heavily on similar beats that Game of Thrones had? And the reason I ask this is because this has been a big issue with the Star Wars spinoffs. The latest trilogy is basically the original trilogy all over again. And then you look at Mandalorian and um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi television series. They're relying on the same characters, including one I would mention, but I don't want to spoil it. They just lean on what's familiar because they know, or at least they hope, that's going to work. So could this be a repeat here, or do you see it diverting in a different direction? I don't know. I think, I mean, I definitely get swept up into um, some nostalgia factor that comes into series that are based on characters that we already know. Like, I really enjoyed the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, Genuinely. And I I know that that is me feeding into the hype of this being already an established character. So I would hate to say that it's not right for anybody to get excited about House of the Dragon because it's based on the Targaryens. You know what I mean? But I, I do kind of hope that they make it their own thing past, you know, maybe like the first couple of episodes of season one, I would understand why they might lean into some um, familiar imagery or uh, comparison in the pilot just to kind of like get people that maybe don't keep up with pop culture as much as we do invested in something that they might have not realized was coming out. But I, I hope that it ends up diverging just for the sake of original storytelling. I think that that's always nice when we can get it. So yeah, I liked the first episode and it's nice to start with a blank slate. I don't have any catching up to do. 
<laughs> that was reassuring with it being a prequel. It seems like most people were pretty positive about it, right? I was seeing largely positive feedback on Twitter. I, you know, honestly, I, I did too. too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people were like, I didn't think I was going to like this, but actually I really like this. So way to go, them. HBO. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery has had so many misfires in the last few weeks or negative headlines. Let's say time will tell if they're misfires canceling a lot of shows and scrapping certain projects. We haven't really discussed it on the show yet. They really needed a win. And this has been a very big win for them thus far. But we'll see how the rest of the season pans out. It does make me wonder if this emboldens the development of the other Game of Thrones spinoffs. Like Pam mentioned, they are working on a couple others. But I wonder if they're going to move faster now on a potential Harry Potter TV show. That's been heavily rumored. Speaking of spinoffs, they did. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, Andrew, but... One of the scenes in House Targaryen, um, whether intentional, well, it probably is intentional, kind of foreshadows that one of the series that they do have coming down the pipeline. It's that scene where they're trying to learn the history of the country. And she asks her what princess married to like further the lineage. And they talk about like the 10,000 ships, which is one of the series that they have coming down the pipeline. So they also have a Jon Snow spinoff in the works. With Kit Harrington really? returning. That's yeah. interesting. Why? Oh, that's going to do huge numbers, what's though. What's Kit Harrington I mean, doing, on. honestly? I know, <laughs> but what's Jon Snow doing? <laughs> Nothing. That's fair. Oh, they'll find something. I'm so sick of him. I would take an Arya Stark series. She yes. actually went off and looked like she was doing something fun. You know nothing, Laura. <laughs> I agree with Pam. Arya would be a far more interesting character to follow. Because when we last left her, she was... Venturing off into the world in search of new adventures. Why not her? Why Jon Snow? So he can sit around and brood. That's all he's going to do. Yes. Ugh, drives me nuts. As long as he's looking hot while brooding, I think that's all that matters. Really. I really wanted him to die. <laughs> the original series. I was so sick of him. Aww. Well, I have this Thrones related Am I the Asshole that I saw on Reddit. And I wanted to share it because of our discussion today, and it went viral. It says, my friend Lexa is getting married soon. She and her husband are extreme Game of Thrones fans. They've watched the show five times. Their house is decked out with Game of Thrones themed decorations, accessories, etc. Because of their shared love of Thrones, Lexa and her fiance decided to, to have a Game of Thrones themed wedding. I am perfectly fine with the idea of a themed wedding. I am even okay with the Game of Thrones dress slash costume for the wedding. The only thing I can't seem to get behind is the fact that the majority of the wedding will be conducted in High Valyrian. For those who don't know, it's a made-up language from Game of Thrones. Her wedding is also a destination wedding, and I'm finding it hard to justify going out of my way to go to a wedding that's not even in a real language that I won't be able to understand. Am I the asshole if I don't go? I mentioned that I was having doubts to Lexa and she got really mad at me because I had originally said I could go before I knew it was in High Valyrian. <laughs> She's also been sending me links to learn High Valyrian on Duolingo. And I feel like even if I did show up, she'd be mad at me for not learning it. The reception will also be in High Valyrian and all speeches and toasts are expected to be in High Valyrian too. <laughs> you are not the asshole. Am I right? Um, I hope they have a tr uh, like an interpreter there, you know, I'm sure this is not I I'm sure there have been like weddings all in Vulcan. So <laughs> I want to say this is not original, but but also a destination wedding. You're traveling to not understand what's going on. Well, maybe you get a good vacation out of it, but on your dime. So, you know, kind of have to weigh that out, too. 
All right, so Pam's actually actually thinks that this person is the asshole. Laura, where do you? I don't think they're the asshole. I just kind of need more information. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, to be clear, I don't think this person's the asshole. I do view some of what's going on as in like two distinct categories. One, there's not very many people for whom I would be willing to travel for a destination wedding, not because I don't love them, but because that shit's expensive. So that is one part of this. And two, I think it's fine to have a themed wedding as long as it's all in good fun. I feel like if this person is actually reaching the point where they are getting so upset with their guests for not learning High Valerian that they're going to be mad at them, that's ridiculous. You can't expect to have a themed anything and for everyone who shows up to understand what's going on. (laughs) So I, if this is really how this friend is acting, I don't think you're the asshole. On the other hand, if you don't have the requirement, people aren't going to follow through and listen to you. They're just going to be like, well, then I'm not going to do it. But I have a surprise game for both of you. So I have come up with a couple of sentences that are in high valyrian and first i want you to read them to see if you can perform high valyrian okay and then i want you to tell me what you think it says so laura you go first of course you're making me go first (laughs) no good luck okay okay I, I want to try and like channel my inner Game of Thrones too, so I'm like pronouncing it correctly. Where did you Please. find this? Is there a, a High Valyrian translator online? Yes, yes, there is, but don't you dare look that up right now. Ixanya millennial kiloni kesa va moriot jora legan orovata. That was really smooth. Is that welcome to millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk? Um. Close. It was, I am a millennial who will always love cock. Oh, well, yeah. True. True. <laughs> All right. Now, Pam, here's one for you. Oh, man. Okay. Hold on. Let me let me think about this. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not going to be as smooth as Laura. It's okay. this is, I feel like you gave me harder words. <laughs> I, I'm just tra- putting in a sentence. Nike would verdros lose bele que leve vala dakotan arli ise lantra jedri jeda that was good pam yeah yeah hell i wouldn't be able to do these and what do you think that translates to oh man i don't know why would we want to cancel student loan debt You have to also keep in mind that I don't know if they translated student loan debt. No, the the answer was I would hate if the orange man ran again in two years time. Oh, oh well, I would in fact hate if the orange man ran again in two years time. So agreed. What this person said. <laughs> Believe it or not, Trump was uh, not in the English to Valerian dictionary. So, okay, well, both of you did very well with that, especially since I just sprung that on you. No, that was fun. So there is a couple of High Valyrian translators online. I went to the one from LingoJam.com. They have 4,000 words and counting. So if you want to get ready for a destination wedding in which High Valyrian is required, check out that website. 
I just also wanted to mention quickly, talking about high fantasy, I mentioned the Lord of the Rings spinoff. That one is called The Rings of Power. This is also a prequel. This one is set thousands of years before Lord of the Rings, and this premieres September 2nd on Amazon Prime. I actually got a notification through the Amazon app this morning about the show, so they're really starting to pump it up. Are you too excited for this one? I feel like, Laura, you're a pretty big Lord of the Rings fan, right? Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, I... I like Lord of the Rings. Um, I definitely have friends for whom Lord of the Rings is like a lifestyle. Um, and it's not the case for me, but I did enjoy, um, you know, the core stories of like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So I'm excited to see what they do here and just hopeful that, and this is a hot take, but like hopeful that they don't pull a Peter Jackson and just like start making up a bunch of shit to fill in holes because if you look at i mean the whole sort of like literary history of lord of the rings there is so much there for them to be able to draw from that they really don't need to make anything up so i'm really hoping that they don't go the uh, peter jackson route here are you kind of referring to what they did with The Hobbit, taking that yeah. one little book and turning it into three movies? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> three yeah. giant movies. Never, I, to this day, I have not seen those movies because The oh. Hobbit is one of my favorite books. Oh. And I was like, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need The Hobbit turned into three books or yeah. three movies. That's that's very fair. I thought it was interesting. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power doesn't have any major actors in the cast to, you know, bring in an audience or help bring in an audience whereas the game of thrones spinoff has matt smith and a couple other recognizable faces but i was looking at the cast list for rings of power i don't recognize anybody here that's a bit of a gamble isn't it or no well i think they're banking on the the franchise to really sell people and it might actually do that because you know the lord of the rings has done really well for itself, not just in terms of like a book that series that has withstood the test of time, but also in terms of the movies as well. Although I did see a headline recently that Peter Jackson was kind of a little offended that they didn't ask him to get involved. At the same time, this might mean that Laura's wish comes true because he won't be around to try and fill in any details that don't need filling in. So yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's I think it's always a risky move to go with a largely unknown cast, but I think that that also gives an opportunity for the show and the characters to stand on their own. I love Matt Smith, but I know that when I'm watching that first episode of House of the Dragon, I'm going to be like that's Matt Smith. That's Matt Smith. You know what I mean? With a it can be white kind wig. of distracting yeah. to yeah. have somebody who is you know, of such high profile playing in a role and removing that entirely just allows you to focus on the story. So I'm I'm excited for it. I will definitely give it a chance. And then when you're watching Matt Smith, you're like, oh, my God, that's Matt Smith's butt. I'm finally getting to see Matt Smith. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. He's fucking. Oh, my God. I'm watching Matt Smith have sex in a white wig. I will admit that it was very hard for me to separate. It's always been very hard for me to separate Mas- Matt Smith from the Doctor. Yeah. And that's just coming yeah. as, from somebody who who was really into Doctor Who before he even got casted and was still watching when he had his run. So it's really tough. And I'm sure that other people in my same situation have also had a hard time. But, you know, he's a very good actor and he's doing a really good job so far. So we'll see. Yeah. And also, didn't we see Matt Smith's butt in The Crown? 
in season one when he Probably, played Prince Yeah, Philip. I think you're right. We did. Oh. Yeah. Andrew's like... going <laughs> to... He's got to go back and freeze frame. <laughs> no, no, no. He's got to compare Matt Smith butts. <laughs> I, lo- I love you right. Has his butt gotten more plump? I love how you remember that, Laura. Matt Smith super fan over here. Yeah, no, I, I actually just have like a mental catalog. How many times has Matt Smith shown his butt on screen? <laughs> I can give you timestamps. <laughs> That's Britain's ass right there. <laughs> so anyway, I guess we'll share our thoughts on uh, The Rings of Power once that is out in just a little over a week's time. Good time to be a fantasy nerd for sure. It's also a good time to be a fan of music, specifically if you're a fan of Demi Lovato, because she's made a huge comeback. Her latest single is called 29, and it's gone pretty viral with many relating to the song's anthemic lyrics about older men getting into relationships with much younger girls. To preface this entire conversation, I do want to point out that Lovato now goes by she, they pronouns. So... It's just a little bit of a heads up to anybody who has not heard that she has changed her pronouns recently. Uh, Lovato has not explicitly confirmed that the inspiration for this song is about her former ex-boyfriend, Wilmer Valderrama, of that 70s show fame. But many have rightfully so speculated that it has to be about him. The song, for anybody who hasn't listened to it, features really poignant lyrics such as the following from the chorus. Finally, 29, funny, just like you were at the time, thought it was a teenage dream, just a fantasy, but was it yours or was it mine, 1729? So Lovato and Valderrama did initially meet when she was 17 and he was 29, but she has previously previously stated that they did not start dating until she was 18, and she has also not um, come out and said anything against that. The couple dated on and off from 2010 to 2015. And since the single's debut, many have also gone on to point out that Valderrama has a bit of a penchant for dating younger women. He's previously been romantically linked to Mandy Moore. The pair dated when she was 16 and he was 20, and also to Lindsay Lohan. They dated when she was 17 and he was 24. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up, because I thought that we could use Demi Lovato's 29 to talk a little bit about the idea in age gaps in relationships. And so to start things off, I wanted to ask you both if we have noticed a cultural shift in how the general public reacts to age gaps in relationships. Because I don't know about you two, but I definitely remember Demi and Wilmer Valderrama being, you know, romantically a couple. They were like on all of the magazines together. But I don't remember people being uh, visibly upset or raising concern over the fact that they were together despite the age discrepancy in their relationship. Yeah, I think back on that. And I definitely remember when it was all over every tabloid magazine cover. But at the time, it didn't jump out at me because I wasn't even aware of how old Wilmer Valderrama was. So I never paid it very much mind. But I think in today's day and age, it would absolutely be attention grabbing. I give you Dane Cook's recent engagement to his 23-year-old girlfriend. He's 50. They've been dating. You can do the math. They've been dating for five years, but he first met her when she was 15. Yeah. I feel like something like that now is just, especially in this country, I, I can't really speak for 
every other culture, but I feel like in the States, it is a very prevalent conversation to note when there are large age gaps happening, especially if it's one in which the woman is significantly younger. Not to say that it can't happen the other way around, but um, it does feel like it's treated socially as taboo way more now than it was 15 years ago. I think also, Pam, you mentioned the relationship was on and off between 2010 and 2015. That's before certain social media networks really started blowing up or during their rise and people weren't as fast to judge back then and these thoughts didn't spread across the internet as quickly. So I really think, especially closer to 2010, that probably played a factor. It is so tricky because we don't want to paint with a broad brush here. I have a hard time. And I think this is what Demi is doing in this song. She's putting herself in Wilmer's shoes, being a 29-year-old and imagining being attracted to a 17-year-old. I always thought it was weird, especially when Demi came out with a documentary a few years ago after she had a a really bad um, overdose situation and was like in and out of rehab. She came out with a documentary that I think went exclusively to YouTube. I don't know if y'all watched that. But I remember watching that and her talking about when they first met, she was 17. And he was like, get away from me. You're 17. We're not going there. But it seems like the second she turned 18... Oh, it was like it was something okay. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, if you feel like a 17 year old should be off limits for whatever reason, what is it about turning 18 that makes you go, okay, this is good? Barely legal. Yeah, yeah. that to me is fucking sus. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, like you bring up a good point because we see this time and time again still today in 2020 where there are countdowns to young actresses turning 18 and how all of a sudden it's like okay to openly thirst over those people. We saw this most recently probably with um, Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things fame. And I think that this is kind of like like her case. And also I think it happened as well with Billie Eilish is kind of like the, the first time in more recent history that I've seen a lot of pushback online over it. But I remember that happening even when we were much younger with like the Olsen twins, for example. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, haha, that's so funny. But it wasn't ever made to be anything bad. But it, it to your point, it is really predatory because it's almost like a certain faction of society is just kind of waiting for it to be okay to be openly sexualizing women that are still very young. Yeah. I remember once seeing a headline about Millie Bobby Brown long before she was 18. um, And it was clickbait article being like, how Millie Bobby Brown grew up before our eyes. And I was like, she's 15. (laughs) Yeah. People were thirsting over her even before she turned 18, which yeah. I think there is some discourse about that online and how disturbing I it know. all was. Well, in all of the recent paparazzi photos that have come out with her and the way that 
they describe her body is just so uncomfortable because I'm like, this person is not very far removed from childhood. And it creeps me out that grown ass adults are commenting on her body in these photos that were taken without her consent. It is an interesting, getting back to the song itself, though, it is a really interesting point that Demi is making because, and we're going to get into this more in After Dark today, we'll be extending this discussion with the more personal stories we have to share. When we were teens, we were around adults in the Harry Potter fandom, people who were 10 or more years older than us. And I think at the time, things looked okay, but as time has gone on, Now that we're the age that they were 10, 15 years ago, we're like, oh, wait a second. Would we have done that at this current age with uh, people who were 15, 16 years old? It it doesn't feel right to me. But I also, you know, this is a very different time right now. So I'm not going to act like, you know, I would have been perfect. Yeah. You know, and we don't have to go into too many specifics because I don't think we're trying to put anyone on blast here. But. I think one of the main things that came up in us prepping for this segment ahead of the show was purchasing alcohol on behalf of teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm 33 now. I would never, never buy a 16 year old alcohol. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And looking back at that time, there were people who did. Yeah. Multiple right. times. We have some and stories to share. We won't name names, but we have yeah. <laughs> some stories to share that we will in After Dark today. Sorry, you yeah. were going to say something, Laura. No, yeah. And, and I mean, there's definitely some of the stuff we're going to talk about in After Dark. And I feel like, by and large, and I'm only speaking for a very small subset of us here because I don't know what everyone's experience at the cons looked like, but I feel like for the most part, It was just us getting drunk. And I personally didn't experience anything beyond that in terms of behavior from Mm -hmm. anybody. But I still, it makes me extremely uncomfortable to imagine doing that for a teenager. Yeah. And then when we were talking about it, I was like, well, wait, I mean, it didn't seem weird in 2007. So if I were the age I am now back then, would I have done it? I like yeah. to think not, but yeah. like you might have because the thing is, is like you want to be the cool friend, right? Right. Well, and not just that, but I'm thinking like we were all close friends. And I think that was a yeah. major factor as well. Like right now we can't be like, I'm close friends with this 16 year old who also runs a fan site. And, yeah. you know, for that reason, I'm going to get them alcohol. But I think it's all like for me, if just to like expand on this a little bit. And again, we can talk about this more in After Dark. I think like depending on how close we are in age, like, and depending on how close that person is to 21, I still probably, because I'm, I've always been the mom friend, would not feel comfortable, would not have felt comfortable doing that if I wasn't able to keep an eye on that person and make sure that they were going to be okay. Especially if it was like a young girl specifically. Right. Not that like young boys can also be taken advantage of. And when I say young boys, I mean like boys, you know, under the age of 21, but there, I think there is something to be said about like 
you know, women keeping an eye on women. And unfortunately, that's the reality of where we're at in society. I'm sure that Laura understands that too. I think that like, even like, if I don't know you and I'm not at a bar, it looks like you're in a bad situation. Like, I don't care how drunk I am. I'm going to ask you if you're okay. Mm -hmm. Right. In terms of the alcohol line, and we can get back to dating in a second. If you're over 21, if you're 21, 22, it's not okay, but it's okay if you're buying alcohol for your friends who are 19 or 20 years old. You know what I mean? There's going to be that peer pressure. Yeah. You're close with your friends. You're going over their house for a party. Now, it's absolutely your responsibility to be taking care of them, making sure they're not driving, getting them set up with an Uber, etc. But I I think right around that 21 legal age line, I think, is is fair. I think that comes with people being in similar stages of life. I mean, there's I would not say that there is a large discrepancy between a 19 year old and a 21 year old in terms of life experience. Obviously, there can be exceptions to that. But in general, I don't think there is. So to me, uh, you know, we all had that friend who hit legal age before the rest of us and would supply everyone. I feel like that's just college (laughs) or just like those years. But when you start getting into people in their 30s doing that for you when you're not 21, that's where it gets weird, especially nowadays. It it wasn't weird. In the early 2000s, but it's weird now. It does kind of like imply like, oh, like you're old enough to take care of yourself, but sometimes you're not. So that's where it gets dicey. Um, I think that we, well, Laura brought up the Dane Cook situation. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is the other one that we hear a lot about just because he is (laughs) like continuing to date women around the same age range and still getting older himself. And when it comes to a celebrity in particular, you have to think that they're flaunting their wealth, their fame, their their lifestyle, and using it to take advantage of a younger woman just because they are attracted to younger women. Outside of the Hollywood bubble, sure, that still goes on, but there's an extra layer there of creepiness and being taken advantage of. You can promise people the world when you're rich and famous. Right. And I I do think there's an important nuance to draw here, which is that plenty of healthy relationships can have age gaps, even large ones. I think a, a huge differentiator here is when the actual meeting happens. If you meet someone when they're underage and you wait until they're of age to you know, pull the plug and try and get in their pants. Uh, to me, that is a huge red flag. But if two people are of age, meet when they're of age, and if they, from a maturity standpoint, from a stages in life standpoint, mesh together, I think that can work. So I just want to be clear about that because I know that I've I've definitely known people in my life that I'm very close to ha- who have significant age gaps in their relationships. They just didn't meet when one of them was a child. And I, I think that's one of the big differences here. And again, some of that boils down to personal preference, too. Like, it may not be any of our personal preference to get involved in a relationship with a huge age gap, 
but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily always a bad thing. However, I think that some of what we'll talk about in After Dark can maybe illuminate some of the red flags that if you're a younger person who is being pursued by an older person, hopefully it can help highlight like when those might be red flags. Right. And this is actually probably a good time to segue into some listener feedback. We wanted to make sure in having this discussion that it was as nuanced as possible. And so to balance it out, we hit up our Facebook group to ask listeners of the show who are currently in or have been in relationships with a large age gap to weigh in. And we were specifically looking for people who have had positive experiences so they can shed some light as to how this can work in certain situations. We got so much feedback for this segment. And I really thank all of you who chimed in for doing so. And we're going to be popping a link to this thread in the show notes. So if you want to read what other people had to say, you can do that at your leisure. But obviously for time purposes. We're only going to read a couple here on air. So the first one comes from Bree who says, my fiance and I are about 15 years apart. We met when I was 24 and he was 38, but it's never felt like much of an age gap unless he's talking about something specific from his teens in the nineties. I of course knew he was older, but we didn't know each other's exact ages when we first met and hit it off anyway. I have a child from a previous relationship, so I was mostly just looking for a good partner that was open to that kind of responsibility. And my fiance has turned out to be a wonderful stepdad and we just had a baby in April. If I didn't already have a kid, I probably wouldn't have would have stayed dating closer to my own age, but there weren't many 24-year-olds that I related to or that were looking for what I had going on. Our age gap is visibly noticeable when we're together in public, We get the occasional lingering glances and my fiance has even been asked by the other men, how do you do it? He just looks at them like they're crazy and says, don't be a dick. I really do think the key to age gap relationships is that the age can literally not be a driving factor. It has to be a healthy, respectful connection between full ass adults. Anyone 21 plus is good to go, but you have to be respectful of their boundaries and to each other. The second someone older wants to start dating someone younger based on their age, it becomes a fetish or predatory and so, so gross. Thanks for sharing that, Brie. Totally agree with that, too. And this point about if I didn't already have a kid, I probably would have stayed dating closer to my own age. But there weren't many 24-year-olds that I related to or that were looking for what I had going on. This is like a really good point that I could totally understand. Sometimes you're just at a different, more mature point of your life. Than these other brats who are 24 year, years old are. Maybe you already got it together. Maybe, you know, in your case, you already had a child. So you wanted to um, just move forward in life. That completely makes sense as for a reason why uh, you'd be more open to dating an older man. I love it. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like when you met, again, you say you weren't aware of each other's ages and it was just based on a genuine mutual connection. I feel like this, um, what what Brie wrote in, perfectly articulates what we've been saying so far, which is that, you know, I think like with most things, there is a degree of nuance. But as soon as you see somebody who's just fetishizing the idea of dating younger, that is a red flag and should always be mm-hmm. a red flag. If somebody just wants to date you for your age, run. <laughs> run. There is this other one we wanted to read from Rebecca. 
I'm currently in an age gap relationship. I am 10 years older than him. I am 35. He is 25. We met almost two years ago, and we have lived together for almost one year. At first, I really hesitated to swipe right on him because of the age difference, but at that point in time, I was just looking to meet new people and have fun. I thought he was really attractive and seemed super cool and funny, and the things he wrote in his profile included literary references. Once we started talking, it seemed like we had a lot in common, so most of the time I don't think either of us notice a difference. I do see a difference and a power dynamic when it comes to adulting, but I don't necessarily blame that on his age. There is a lot more to the situation with his upbringing and processing differences. I don't want there to be one, and I'm working on it every day to help him be more of an equal partner. That's nice that you're so aware of the situation. And I mean, that's like any other relationship too. Honestly, like even if you're close in age, there's still going to be differences because of your upbringing and how you process things. Yeah. And I think that when you really kind of unlock a partnership and you start working on bettering each other as a pairing, you learn some stuff about yourself and about the other person that is kind of wild to be like, whoa, like this was clearly not part of your upbringing, you know, or it wasn't part of my upbringing. And it's very illuminating. But I I would say too, you know, to Andrew's point, that may not necessarily be due to an age gap. It may be mm-hmm. for sure, but it also doesn't have to be. Yeah. And I like that we included this one, Pam, because Rebecca pointed out that she was initially hesitant, but she was just looking for friends. So she did swipe right. And sometimes that happens too, right? With or without an age gap. It's like, oh, I just want to I just want to make some new friends. And that's kind of how Pat and I started. And then we started banging and then that just sealed the deal, I guess. And the rest was history. <laughs> was that it? Was that why? I can't remember now. It's been five years. I do also appreciate that this is uh, the other way around because I think so often when we think of age gaps, we think of older men and younger women. But, you know, sometimes it's older women and younger men and that's okay as long as the relationship is healthy. In the Facebook group, we did see mostly positive stories, I would say, right? Most people had positive outcomes and things to share. So yeah, to be fair, I did ask for positive stories because I kind of figured that we would take care of the negative stories. Okay. You know, just purely based on the, yeah, on the subject matter here. Someone did admit that theirs ended in divorce. So that's why I, I guess I glossed over your positivity (laughs) uh, comment i appreciated that too that's very real and very sobering sometimes that can happen but yeah i just um i really the song is very catchy too it's actually a song that might get some replay from me demi lovato's album also dropped this past friday it's very good if you're into kind of more of like that edgier pop punk vibe then you'll probably really love this album because it's just got a really kind of nice little chuggy guitar riff like looping throughout there's a heavy bass there's a lot of nice little heavy drums so if you're just kind of like into that vibe then i would i would highly recommend taking a listen to her new album yeah sounds good to this me this is this is her healing era i think Ooh. yeah i really hope it works out for her i know that she's had a really tough few years so i hope it was cathartic and that you know she's on a good path the album is called holy f-v-k. holy f v c k holy f-v-k. 
Well, to bring us home today, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the money that is earmarked in the Inflation Reduction Reduction Act, um, specifically as it relates to the IRS and uh, what it means, how some people have reacted, how Republicans are trying to desperately to turn this into an election issue because they've kind of they kind of blew their load on abortion. So now they don't have that one anymore. Um, Essentially, the Inflation Reduction Act earmarks about $80 billion to hire new IRS agents. Um, For reference, the IRS has been its current size since about 1970, which was the last time there was any kind of major push for hiring. So if you've ever felt annoyed at the IRS's inefficiency when it comes to processing things, however, they're sort of like greased lightning approach to taking money from you. This will hopefully help with some of the administrative issues that make working with the IRS such a pain in the ass. Um, We are going to talk about auditing here in a few minutes because presumably we know that part of these agents being hired, there are currently only about 6,500 auditors that work for the agency. And over the next few years, this will be ramped up to about 12,000. So uh, more audits will happen if you are of a certain income bracket. And I would just say, look up at your ceiling. And if you have a popcorn ceiling, you probably don't need to worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a TikTok once that was like, if your couch is up against the wall, you're poor. (laughs) Wait, really? Yeah. Where else do you put a couch? I guess the people have a lot of space. Like they could just be in the middle of the room. Yeah. So they'll put the couch in the center of the room. Oh, I think I think the TikTok presented it that way. They're like, if, if if you don't have your couch in the center of the room, you're poor. <laughs> I was like, shit. What if you have no walls? So I'm going to say I have only ever had my couch up against a wall. Yeah. So thank you for confirming that I don't need to worry about the IRS auditing. <laughs> we tried to put the couch in the center of the room and there just wasn't enough room. And then I was like, well, I guess we're poor. Right. Because you got it. Where are you going to eat if your couch is taking up the space? Right. Right. Where's you your dog going to run around? Like, yeah, yeah. So it's good to know that we're all poor. Yeah. <laughs> so the IRS will not be coming for us. But Laura, you mentioned a certain income bracket. This does not affect anyone who makes less than 400000 a year. Right. I'll go ahead and wager like 99.99999% of our audience uh, will not be affected <laughs> by this staffing Wait, increase. Who are the 0.1 percenters? I don't know. Who's I got a couch know. in the center of the room? And who doesn't have a popcorn <laughs> ceiling? Let us know. (laughs) Can we have some money? (laughs) Money, please. Um, No. So we talked a little bit here a couple minutes ago that there is some fear mongering happening with this. And I mentioned that I think it's because they don't really have the abortion, um, you know, cattle call to use anymore. Um, But Andrew, you mentioned here that you think they're trying to attack the Inflation Reduction Act, which has been a huge success for the Biden administration. Yeah, so much good news in there. And Republicans decided to attack the IRS improvements. 
So it just seemed like they were grasping for straws. And also, I think it's to distract from the FBI investigation against Trump. So I agree. I I think that they are trying to marry these two things together sort of narratively to make it like extra funding for the IRS, former President Trump, uh, you know, being raided by the FBI. It's government overreach. And you'll see that reflected in some of these fear mongering examples that we pulled for today's discussion. Um, So friend of the show, actually, Senator Chuck Grassley, this is a deep cut for anybody who listened to the show way back in the beginning. Um, Chuck Grassley, who is famous for his word salad Twitter um, that he maintains himself. He should just hand that shit off to an intern. (laughs) But anyway, he said uh, he went on Fox News And he said that new IRS agents, a small percentage of whom are allowed to carry firearms, might be coming with loaded, quote, AK-15s and, quote, ready to shoot some small business person in Iowa. Wow, that is terrifying. Yeah, I think this is funny because anytime you talk about guns, uh, gun nuts like to play this, like, sort of like rhetorical game with you where it's like, ah, 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 you use the wrong word. Automatic rifles don't exist (laughs) and shit like that. But it's like, you can't even get the name of the fucking gun right. (laughs) Well, and also these are the pro-gun people. These are the people who want the right to carry, open carry, have as many weapons as possible. And suddenly this idea that um, IRS agents, government employees are carrying around firearms, suddenly we don't like guns. Yeah. Well, and actually a small, a very small percentage of IRS employees do carry guns, just like a very small percentage of postal employees carry guns. Like it's not. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. All right. I guess yeah. I'm bringing out my body shield the I next also time. I didn't know that. So I guess I should be scared of my. <laughs> well, to be clear, this isn't the person who's delivering your mail. Oh. It's, you know, like I'm thinking about like postal inspectors my dad was a postal inspector and had a gun okay yeah (laughs) why am i surprised by this revelation i was like is andrew gonna fill the gap for me here (laughs) (laughs) no when laura said that i too just jumped to mail person so basically what you're saying is like this is news like policemen carrying a gun is news yeah exactly okay got it Though we will say um, the IRS recently altered a job posting for criminal investigators. They deleted one of the role's major duties, which said, quote, be willing to use deadly force if necessary, which is just pretty extreme to put in a job posting for an IRS agent. So they deleted that. And now it just says uh, you will be legally allowed to carry a firearm, which see. I would be suspect of anybody who applied to that job posting when that was in the job description. Yeah. I would be like, you know what? All of these, no. Immediately, no. (laughs) Because anyone who answers a job posting about being willing to use deadly force, I'm like, "Eh, maybe you don't need to have a gun. Senator Ted Cruz tweeted, stop Biden's shadow army of 87,000 IRS agents. Shadow Shadow army. Army. Shadow army. Spooky season's upon us. (laughs) (laughs) Representative Kevin Brady of Texas, who is the top Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee, said this week that families making less than $75,000 would face $710,000 
thousand additional audits, uh, and he suggested that the Biden administration had also lied about its pledge to not increase audit rates of taxpayers who make less than four hundred thousand dollars. There is simply nothing to substantiate this statement. He pulled it out of his ass. Um, Carrie Lake, who is a Trump-backed election conspiracist running to be governor of Arizona, wrote on Truth Social, their new favorite, that, quote, not a single one of us is safe. She also suggested that it was no coincidence that they hired 87,000 IRS agents the day before the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago, even though the bill that enabled that hiring had not yet been signed into law (laughs) when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. And to kind of bring all of this full circle and show the impact that misinformation has on all of us, um, we have seen significant increases in search terms such as armed IRS and IRS firearms since all of these talking heads have been out in the world over the last week or so. According to data from Zignal Labs, the use of these terms on social media, forums, and broadcast channels, even traditional media, increased 1,044% and 532%, um, specifically each of those terms, armed IRS and IRS firearms, um, after the search of Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. So I will tune into Fox News from time to time because I like to see what the competition is talking about. I also see it on at a gym, which gives me a heart attack. It's really unhealthy for me. But they have been talking about this nonstop. This is their big talking point at the moment. And these comments that these various senators and representatives are making are funny, but it's also really upsetting because people just buy it at face value. They really believe IRS agents are going to show up in the dark of the night with an AK-15 and murder them in their sleep because they came up $15 short on their tax bill. They just buy all of this and they're looking for any reason to hate on Biden. It's a gross cycle and, and very upsetting, but I'm glad you wanted to bring this up because I could I really could not believe how often they're talking about it on Fox News. Yeah. It's the only thing they have right now. It's an election year, and they are wanting to make sure to take anything positive that has happened in this administration and take it down to affect turnout. Even Mitch McConnell, this is another thing, and this is like a separate sort of tangent here. Mitch McConnell came out recently and was talking about... Uh, how he he was feeling kind of mixed about Republicans' ability to take back the House and the Senate, and he expressed some doubts about the quality of Republican Republican candidates. This is a deliberate attempt to set the bar really low for Republicans so that they can present a surprise turnout in November. Don't fucking listen to him. Don't let what Mitch says make you complacent about turning out to vote. We just need to always vote as though we are running behind every single time. Absolutely. Don't get don't get taken up by stories about polling, even if it's positive. No. Don't listen to people like Mitch when they're, you know, talking, oh, woe is me. If we don't take back the Senate, I'm going to retire. 
just don't even pay it any mind. Just vote. May I share a positive poll? I was just going to bring up until yeah, you sure. said don't share a positive poll. Okay, or don't no, listen you to a positive can share poll. It. <laughs> just don't let it make you complacent. So this was a pleasant surprise. Americans see threat to democracy as the number one issue right now, according to a new poll from NBC News. As we should. More than the economy, the number one issue to Americans is the threat to democracy. Now, some of this could be people on the right saying they're scared about Democrats. But I have to think a majority of this country who probably voted for Biden are very concerned about the threats to democracy. And maybe this will turn people out in the midterms. Please turn out in the midterms. For the love of God. Related to the IRS, though, I felt like since we are talking about this today, I did want to acknowledge, though, that um, the IRS has behaved inappropriately in the past. So I don't want to gaslight someone and make them feel like we're saying, no, the IRS is great. We love the IRS here on the show. Um, From the same New York Times article that kind of inspired today's discussion, um, it was pointed out that in 2013, the IRS acknowledged that it had been singling out terms like Tea Party and Patriot as a shortcut for finding organizations that were engaging in what the article calls social welfare, which means they were you know, submitting themselves as uh, tax-exempt organizations when they weren't. Um, And they were also found to have done the same thing uh, later. In 2017, a report from the the Treasury Inspector found that progressive groups had also been improperly scrutinized. Um, Obama actually came out in 2013 and referred to this as unacceptable. And the the agents that were found to be participating in this practice were fired. But I just feel like with this conversation and talking about some of the fear mongering that's happening, that's all very ridiculous. We still have to acknowledge that the IRS has definitely had a checkered history with regard to targeting specific groups. Well, I just wanted to touch on auditing real quick, because I feel like this is what a lot of Republicans are also afraid of, not just the AK-15s, but maybe they haven't. Some people haven't been particularly honest on their taxes. And the idea of suddenly many more IRS agents coming into the fold could uh, makes them think, oh, shit, <laughs> the jig is up for me. Finally, being the subject of an audit is very scary. I have been audited personally. I was also audited once uh, for my business. It's very scary. The auditor will tear you apart. They want every little piece of documentation you can possibly provide, phone records, bank records, all kinds of things. It's not fun. So I I really do think part of this is people being like, oh, shit, I'm going to get caught (laughs) because because you probably can cheat on your taxes and get away with it because the IRS is so overwhelmed. That said, I wanted to recommend everybody, and this will lead us into recommendations in a moment, I want to recommend that if your tax software that you use or the app that you use or the website that you use or like H&R Block, if they offer audit protection, like a little add-on, buy that. It is so worth it. I did this with my personal taxes. This is when I was audited like 10, 12 years ago. The auditor at the tax company took care of everything, including speaking to the IRS. I set them up as an agent and then they just all handled it. They handled it. I didn't have to do anything. It was such a relief because audits can be scary. So next time you're doing your taxes, you see that offer for audit control, sign up for it. It's like insurance where 
you pay for it whether or not you're actually going to use it, but it is a wonderful bit of peace of mind. I can't remember how much it was. I don't think it was a crazy amount. I can't recommend that enough. That was truly a lifesaver for me. I think it'll be interesting to wait and see what's going to happen here. I know part of the funding that's going into this is looking at how to create a more robust free filing system for low-income Americans. There's not a ton of information about that yet, but it is something that I'm interested to see. So we'll uh, report back when we know more. Yeah, for sure. Coming up in After Dark, we teased it earlier. We're going to be extending our discussion on age gaps in relationships and also age gaps in other areas of life. Like when we were uh, very active in the Harry Potter fandom going to fan conventions, there were some questionable things going on. I know Laura has a personal story to share as well. So we'll dive deeper into that in After Dark at patreon.com slash millennial today. This is why we love having the Patreon and After Dark. We get to open up a little further than we would on the main show because we can put some content on the Patreon and we know exactly who is listening on the Patreon. And by the way, when you do pledge, you get a special RSS feed that you can pop into most podcast apps and then you can listen to all of our bonus audio content just like you do regular millennial. So it's super easy to enjoy all of our bonus audio content once you do a one-time setup. And thanks, everybody, for your support. By the way, just wanted to highlight something on our Patreon that we don't talk about often. We offer an annual membership to our Patreon. So you can pledge for a year up front, and you'll receive a 10% discount for making that year upfront commitment. This can be great if you don't like the repeating credit card charges or you want a little discount and can cover a year up front. We once heard from somebody who was like, I do the annual subscription because I don't want my husband seeing the monthly charge. I'm like, hey, however you use it is great by us. So patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody, for your support. I just made my recommendation a couple of minutes ago. What do you two have for us this week? Um, I wanted to recommend something that we have talked about here on the show before, but I just genuinely love it. Um, it's Waze Leaving Conditioner. They have been a sponsor of the show in the past, full disclosure, but they are actually a brand that I've been using for a really long time, even before they became a show sponsor. I really love all of their products. They've got great dry uh, dry shampoo and... Um, like a scrunch spray that you can use if you want a little bit of beachy waves going on. But if I was to recommend any one of their products as like a must have, it would be their leave-in conditioner. It smells so good. And my hair is always just really soft and shiny after I use it. So if you're looking for a new leave-in conditioner and you don't mind spending maybe a little more than you would spend at a drugstore, this is a great option. However, there are also some great drugstore options too. Um, Shea Moisture is always like an easy grab for me if I need some uh, leave-in conditioner and I'm kind of in a pinch and I just need something quick and easy. Um, that's always a great option too. I really like that Uwe leave-in conditioner too. And it's um, I'm assuming that you're talking about the one that you spray in, right? It's so yeah. nice because you don't have to get your hands dirty, you know, beforehand. Yeah. So that it's really helpful for sure. I totally agree. I also have a beauty rec. I wanted to recommend Rare Beauty's Lip Souffle. This is Selena Gomez's cosmetic line. If you're a fan of rocking a matte lip, this is definitely the product for you. It is probably 
if not the most, one of the most comfortable matte lip formulas I've ever used in my life. The colors are so pretty and it glides on so easy and you can actually kind of like build it up too. So if you want something a little bit darker, you could build it up to that. If you want something a little bit more sheer, you could definitely kind of wash it out. So definitely check that out next time you're at Sephora. All of the colors are super pretty. I picked up the shade Strengthen, which is a really nice wearable berry red. It's really good for fall. So um, I've really been enjoying that. And I hope that you all do too, if you go and check it out. Ooh, I am okay. looking at those right now. And I already see like three colors that I need. They're so, so nice. I'm excited about that because oftentimes matte lipsticks like this can make my lips feel so dry. Yeah. It's not a liquid lip. It's kind of more of like, it is a lot creamier than that, but it gives kind of the same effect. So I love that. Likely probably not as as good of staying power, but I feel like it kind of stains really nice too. So I'm enjoying it. Couple other reminders before we wrap up today's episode. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please take a moment to do that. We would really appreciate it. I know we say it every week, but we would love that review. You can contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And finally, do follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. We are totes posting a video of uh, Laura going off on the student loan forgiveness sitch. I think that's oh, something dear. that could do well <laughs> on social media. No, that's good. That's good. That was good context for people. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye.